you are listening to The Current Daily, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Thursday, July 2nd. We have big news to report, which I'm sure you already know by now. Our financial information system went live yesterday. Oracle Financial's Cloud and Concur are up and running. This, of course, was a huge effort by many people in IT services and beyond. Just how huge? Well, I'm glad you asked. Drum roll, please. 578 staff members contributed, 15,197 tasks were completed, 2,234 deliverables were completed, 82,000. 269 total hours were logged, and perhaps most meaningful, at least four new family members were welcomed, and likely more. So, a hearty congratulations to everyone who was a part of it. Now, you may be aware that newsrooms nationwide continue to shrink. It is a shame as many venerable and long-standing papers reduce service or cease to exist at all. But one publication seems to be doing just fine. It's called The Grey Lady Herself, The New York Times. And how do we know this? Because The Times has the resources to assign a reporter to write a 1,500-word story headlined, The Video Call is Starting, Time to Put on Your Zoom Shirt. Here's the premise. Apparently, a certain type of person, namely me, starts their home-based workday in casual clothes, pajamas, rags, or perhaps nothing at all. Well, that's not me. But he or she or they keeps a trusted nice or semi-nice shirt at the ready to don specifically for the Zoom meeting. And once the Zoom call is done, the shirt goes back on the hanger. So, dear listener, what's your Zoom attire strategy? I have to admit, I do have a Zoom shirt that I wear depending on what the meeting is, but it is not the same shirt every time. Amusing as that anecdote is, I do have to point out in mentioning it, kinda, sorta, next Tuesday is our next Lunch and Learn, and it's all about Zoom. A dignified, respectable podcast host like myself could not bear to read the edgy session title out loud, but it's hosted by our own James Seddon, so we asked him why people should attend. This is Mark Herzberger. I'm joined again by James Seddon. He is our Associate Director of Network and Voice Operations. James, welcome back to the pod. How are you? I'm great. Always good to be here. We are here to a bit of a preview of the webinar you're going to host next Tuesday, July 7th at high noon. Folks, this is not a joke. I am reading this straight from what's posted on The Current. James, your webinar is called how to pick your nose while hosting a Zoom meeting, James Seddon's favorite Zoom settings, tips, tricks. James, what is the elevator pitch on why people should attend this? I'm a writer on the outside, and I am always feel like my titles are a weak spot in my writing, so I decided not to try very hard on the title on this one. Uh, just go for a hook. 
Uh, hopefully it's an entertaining hook. I will cover how to pick your nose while hosting a Zoom meeting. So that is not just a bait and switch. I will cover that. But really, I spend a lot of time doing Zoom meetings and hosting Zoom meetings. Like any application, I'm, my guess is that most people are only scratching the surface of the Zoom settings, you know, or only using a tiny fraction of what's available. And through trial and error and lots of disasters and the help of people smarter than me to help me learn, uh, I've come up with a set of things that I think most of the time let my the Zoom meetings that I'm hosting, that I'm running, go pretty smoothly and without the sort of stumbles and fits that you very common, that everybody commonly sees with Zoom. So uh, when I was approached and said, hey, can you give another lunch and learn? Well, you know, what do you want to talk about? I thought maybe this was something I could talk about. And I'm not a Zoom expert, but I think I, I do have uh, some settings that folks have said they hadn't seen before. This, I think, will be very useful to people who are brand new to hosting Zoom meetings or maybe, you know, attend Zoom meetings 90% of the time and only host them 10% of the time and always feel like it's a rough start when they do that. I think it'll be particularly useful for those folks. Uh, Zoom experts may not get as much, but you may walk away with a tip or two that you didn't know. This isn't a, a presentation covering you know, how to give a pr good presentation. This is all about the guts and buttons and switches on Zoom itself and, and what those do and which ones you should look out for. Without giving away all the punchlines, what, what are some of those features or, or techniques in there? Sure. So, you know, one of the, the, the common things is that the host shows up and then spends a few minutes fighting uh, his or her microphone and camera to get that working. And the, the rest of the Zoom participants wait and watch with mild amusement or great amusement as, as the person is on camera, maybe not realizing he or she's on camera and, and fighting those sort of things. And once you learn how all of that works, it's relatively simple to avoid that and have the, the meetings just start smoothly. Uh, but like everything else, it, it's not something you are born knowing how to do. Um, and so I'm going to cover how to do that, how to avoid being Zoom bombed, how to, how, how to pick your nose while still hosting your Zoom meeting. Other settings, where, where are the settings? Where are all these settings? Um, uh, other tips and tricks like, like what's the best way to invite people? What's the shortcut that makes creating a Zoom and inviting people to a Zoom a one-click half a second operation instead of a three or four minute, how do I create a Zoom meeting again? What, you know, what are those, those settings? It's, it's going to be that kind of thing. Now, I, I promised you or threatened, however you want to take it, a wild card question. I'm ready. Yeah, it, it's, not, it's not, I guess it's not, you know, within the Zoom platform. It's more about one's approach to his, her, or their uh, appearance. What is your position on the idea of a quote-unquote Zoom shirt? <laughs> Well, I don't. Your listeners probably can't see, but I'm right now. I'm wearing a, a Mandalorian, uh, a Star Wars Mandalorian T-shirt for our Zoom session here. You know, I, I think it's it's pretty dependent on on context. We we just got done doing some uh, interviews, uh, job interviews uh, via Zoom, and, and what the candidate wears to the Zoom job interview might be different than what I'm wearing. So it depends on context. I think that in our current environment and in, in current ITS culture, I feel like people have a great deal of freedom as to what they're wearing on their their Zoom calls. Although one of my favorites has been the the person I, I won't name the person, but it was a big Zoom meeting with 50 or so people on the Zoom. And he was sitting on the couch with his laptop in his pajamas at like 1 p.m. for this call. I did not realize the camera was on, which is one of the things I'll be talking about. Everybody was highly amused as he sat there unaware that, that he was on camera. And it, it was improved when uh, his spouse or partner also in her pajamas came over and, and leaned over his shoulders behind him to look in on the Zoom meeting too. It was great, but uh, that's probably the, 
so far the most extreme version of, of Zoom clothing that I've seen so far. Uh, all right. Well, here's here's what I was alluding to. So New York Times has a at least a thousand word article. It is headlined, the Zoom call is starting. Time to put on your Zoom shirt. So there's this phenomenon where people, I guess, as they go to work each day, telecommuting, they're, they're in their PJs or Star Wars t-shirt. But then when the meeting starts, they've got a, a nicer shirt just hanging there. And then they throw that on. And then they profiled one uh, gentleman. I guess he wore his Zoom shirt 50 days in a row and nobody noticed. So that was, he felt like that gave him license to keep uh, wearing it. Nice. Yeah. Well, I guess New York Times has run out of things to write about is one indication there. But no, that I don't doubt that that's probably true. Now you've said it, though. I, I, I wish you hadn't because now I'm going to be paying close attention to everybody's shirt to see if I can detect the person who's wearing the exact same shirt every time. So appreciate you ruining all of my Zooms from here on out. You know, I do what I can, James, and I'm not going to tell you to go and, you know, rework your whole presentation, but, you know, <laughs> give, me, give me a nice little credit if you do, you know, slip All that right. in, in the meeting. Will do. <laughs> All right. So that is high noon next Tuesday, July 7th. We've got the Zoom link on the homepage of The Current. And James, we'll see you then. Thank you. You got it. That sounds like a fun session indeed, and I hope you can attend. We're nearing the end of today's episode, and of course, tomorrow is a holiday. So as ever, the crack research staff here at the Current Daily Podcast dig up some fun facts about the 4th of July. It's not just about fireworks and hot dog eating contests. There is true importance ascribed to this historic date. On July 4th, 1776, the Continental Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence. You all know that Thomas Jefferson is credited with writing the Declaration of Independence. He was not known as a boastful man, but Jefferson was heard to remark, Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We fought for these ideals. We shouldn't settle for less. These are wise words. Enterprising men quote them. Don't act surprised, you guys, because I wrote them. Of course, that was not Jefferson, but Jefferson as depicted in the musical Hamilton, which you'll probably spend the weekend watching on Disney Plus once everything gets shut down again. Now, back to Jefferson and the Declaration. When he wrote, all men are created equal, we know that he didn't really mean all men, and he didn't bother to include women at all. So there's that. Most of the Declaration, though, lists out grievances against King George III. Here are two of my personal favorites. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. And he has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. I think we can agree that Jefferson had a lot to learn about true equality, but would have been a quite formidable foe in a colonial roast battle. As far as celebrating the 4th of July, that started pretty much immediately on the one-year anniversary in 1777. As it happens, that first commemoration in Philadelphia was also the first time fireworks were used to celebrate the occasion. The 4th of July became a federal holiday in 1870. Legend has it, that the first edition of Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest was held way back on July 4th, 1916. 
The crack research team here at The Current Daily couldn't independently verify the 1916 date, but we believe it could be true. Isn't that good enough? More importantly, this year's contest is a go. COVID-19 be darned. Who said there's no live sports on? You can tune in Saturday at 9 a.m. on ESPN for some disgusting eating habits. Have a great weekend, everyone, and enjoy your fourth. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.